Sex Ed Speakeasy is not for children. No speakeasies are for children, especially the speakeasy. We will be using very adult language. Very, very, very adult language. This is Sex Ed Speakeasy, the podcast where we take deep dives into the history of sex and even deeper dives into our drinks. I'm Angel Russell, board-certified sex educator. And I'm Stephen Russell, submitting for the approval of the Midnight Society, the story of the lengths men will go through to reach and maintain a strong erection. I'm so excited about this episode. (laughs) All right. So my favorite holiday is right around the corner. Um... It is almost Halloween. I hope we are able to add in lots of fun, spoopy sound effects. <laughs> All right. So um, we are not, I don't want to get too far into the episode because um, what I will say is that this episode, um, because it is Halloween, we have an extra special treat for you today. We have, instead of one main focus, on this episode, we have a bunch of little scary stories for you. Um, we are going to be talking about all sorts of fun and strange inventions and medical interventions in the world of sex. And to kick us off, I'm going to tell our first story when we have drinks in our beloved segment, Aperitifs with Aaron. So this will be a first for us. What will be? Well, this will be the first aperitif for Aaron where I have also been imbibing. <laughs> so I'm quite relaxed right now. Thank you. See, and we haven't been yet because we <laughs> don't know. We haven't made the drinks because you haven't told us how to. So got it, got I have it. Well, all of this kind of weird booze on the table in front of me. <laughs> right. I'm very, very excited. This is a fun cocktail. I was a little bummed. Because this one was hard. This one took me some work. Yeah? What do you right? mean? Because, well, I mean, we're, this is a, I'm assuming your audience knows, a Halloween-themed drink because it, because it matches your Halloween-themed uh, topic. Yes, it does match the Halloween topic. The problem with most Halloween-themed drinks is there's something that you would get at, like, a TGI Friday's. <laughs> yes. Right? So they're called Witch's Brew or Goblin's Brew, or they use the word brew a lot. And Weird. Come on, this this is a sex ed speakeasy. You can't have that kind of drink in a speakeasy. It still has to fit with the theme, right? I agree. I like the commitment. I appreciate that. So I sent you a classic drink that would kind of fit with the vibe. I think you did. Like the pictures, if we can get them to look as cool as the pictures look, I... I, I totally love it. It's a it's a cool it was a cool looking thing when you sent it over and we were um going to get the ingredients. Sure, uh, you, you yeah. would say that, but you think I'm talking about the drink we're gonna make, not the drink I first recommended. Oh, that drink we first recommended. Ew. <laughs> okay. Okay. So to to all of our Bloody Mary fans out there, you were gonna get a great background and history of the Bloody Mary, but now you never will. I don't know about never. One of these days, it may just <laughs> cycle its days. way back. We have to do a Halloween right. episode every year, so maybe it'll right. cycle when, back through. <laughs> when, when we're on our 75th one of these, <laughs> and you're like, okay, damn it, I'll drink the damn Bloody Mary. My, t- my taste will change. I just, I, the, 
the whole concept of a Bloody Mary is not appetizing to me. But I think that like in my complaining, I hosed myself because I'm also not a huge fan of gin drinks. And so I didn't want to tell you like no way. Host. I told like I, I have to I'm committed to the project. So I I couldn't veto um, another drink. I used my veto up on the Bloody Mary. So, <laughs> so my my favorite um, hard liquor is going to be a bourbon or a whiskey, but is followed very closely by gin. Gin just has, it has so much to it. And depending on what kind of gin you go with, it's just expressed in so many different ways. So, well, if beautiful bottles are any indication of beautiful taste, I super love this bottle of Hendrix Lunar in front of us. It's very pretty and witchy and it's got this beautiful little moon on it. It's from their cabinet of curiosities. And according to the internet, it, um, has a uh, subtle citrus flavors, which I think would probably work pretty well with this. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. If we have uh, if I have a gin that is my go-to, that is one of the more mass produced, it's Hendrix hands down. Um, we have a distillery here in downtown Jacksonville. I'm going to give them a little plug called manifest. Um, they yes. have a gin that is just fantastic. And they have a barrel aged gin that is so good. You can use it in mixed drinks or you can drink it straight around the rock. So that's my go-to. But when I'm going out somewhere, you know, they don't have it. Like if I'm not in Jacksonville, then I, I always go with Hendrix. Well, I I have a feeling I'm going to be – I mean, this drink has – it also has absinthe in it, which, I mean, this is a perfect <laughs> Halloween drink. It's going to be either mm -hmm. super delicious or super disgusting. I don't think there's going to be like a middle ground here because it's got some really – why don't you just walk us through what's in this drink, Aaron? Sure. So, again, I was trying to find a drink that really – uh, fit with the spirit and so we're going to make uh, a corpse reviser, a corpse reviver corpse reviver i'm sorry can can we go back was was steve gonna laugh at the fact that i said fits with the spirit here yes, he did i did okay said, huh. got, it. got it now we're actually going to make a corpse survivor number two which is the most famous the most popular of all the corpse survivors cool I didn't These drinks there were so many. started back there. Yeah, right. So they actually started back in the late 1800s, and they're called that because the main point of them was uh, something for you to drink the next morning to kind of wake you up after a heavy night of drinking. So, oh, this is what you would drink after a heavy night of drinking. Yes. Oh, so yes. this is like a hangover cure. That's exactly what it is. This is a hangover cure from the late 1800s, early 1900s. They would recommend these uh, to kind of pick yourself up after a long night. But but they would explicitly say, uh, don't have more than four <laughs> or it uh, it has the opposite effect. I was going to say, because all magic comes at a price, how much would I have to drink to uh, become the thing <laughs> I'm trying to avoid? <laughs> of course, of course. Yeah, so the one that we're going to be doing has gin in it. The original one had cognac and sweet vermouth, but we're going in a different direction here. Well, you know what? I, I, I think we might be splitting the difference here because the only orange liqueur we had was Grand Marnier. Oh, there you go. Which it has cognac in it, right? You guys are higher end than me. I I go straight for triple sec. We have triple sec also, but I had Grand Marnier in the back, and so we thought we might as well do it right. So I believe the general rule is if you have Grand Marnier, you drink Grand Marnier. Yes. Yes. I, I think that is the rule. So, All right. So this is made with a cocktail glass. Uh, you can use kind of a lot of different varieties here. Obviously, this is Halloween, so you want it to be – be the the bougiest one you can find well all of our bougie cocktail glasses are in the garage and um we of everything we did to prepare for this episode we forgot to go get the cool glasses out of the garage for this so we are using like little rocks glasses 
Okay. All right. So you don't have the stem that that goes along with it, but that's okay. We don't. Well, because it was either sure, wine, get, like, glass wine glass for the stem. Uh, or so I can do a wine glass and have the stem or I can do no stem and a rocks glass. What do you think is better? Nah, six in one hand, half dozen in the other. All Either right. way, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> Off to a great start. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So there's a couple different directions for how you use the absinthe. Some of them have you rinse the glass ahead of time. Some of them have you do a drizzle at the end. Again, it's kind of up to you. I think it's kind of fun to rinse the glass ahead of time. Let's do that then. I have a little bowl here because I was expecting this. So I'm going to rinse my glass. Now, I don't know about you, but I love absinthe. So what you can do is just, you know, take a nice little sip from the bowl afterwards. It smells like black licorice. Yeah, our our absinthe is... Old. Uh, well, I mean, it's aged. But um, <laughs> it is, uh, like, I ain't afraid of no ghosts green. Like a, okay. ne- a neon... It, I think it uh, self-illuminates... Um, wow it is very bright and it kind of just smells like black licorice schnapps i was in my early 30s the first time i had absinthe because i was convinced it was going to actually make me hallucinate um it did not (laughs) what a bummer (laughs) right i kept sighing away from it absinthe now is quite different it's missing uh some of the hallucinogenic yeah the hallucinogenic there you go no no aren't right. there like famous painters or authors oscar wilde like oscar wilde so wild, yeah. ha- have you seen uh the most recent season of american horror story so okay we got to back up here is it the full season or is it the new ones they've been doing that are more no it's the, it's the new full season which is broken up season. into two parts i honestly the last one i saw was the one with lady gaga where they were in the hotel oh, okay no is roanoke after that before yeah, that before, before? okay, okay i don't remember hotel. okay yeah well the, uh the, the most recent one the first half of the season um it talks about this wonder drug that only works for highly talented people and so it's mostly targeted at like writers and stuff like that and so that just makes me think of absinthe you know only really working for like the oscar wilde wilds or van gogh's yeah. Uh, of their day. Everyone else just become like, Everyone drunk else just idiots. Drunk. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so okay. my, my wife is an incredible person and y'all have to meet her one day. And by y'all, I don't mean you two because you know my wife very well. I mean, Angel, you were in my wedding party. Yes. Um, but she does not like scary things. So if I'm going to watch scary things, I have to wait until she goes to bed at like midnight. And I'm also almost 40 at this point. So I can make it through about 10 minutes before I fall asleep on the couch. So I have not gotten to watch American Horror Story in like three years. Well, we'll watch scary things with you, but your wife will have to find a friend to have a slumber party with. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. All right. Okay. So I have rinsed my glasses with the absinthe. Lovely. All right. So at this point, you're going to mix everything else. The gin, the Let Blanc, the orange liqueur, which... uh, for some of us is bougier than others and the lemon juice into a shaker. So for those of you who uh, are making this at home, it's going to be about three quarters of an ounce of each. So it's equal parts for all four. Again, one more time, the gin of your choice. Usually they recommend a really dry, like London gin, but again, it's kind of up to you. Uh, the let Blanc, the orange liqueur, and then uh, lemon juice, fresh squeezed, ideally. And again, those are we equal parts. We do have. Four. I squeezed a whole bag of lemons. For this? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Do you know how many cuts are on my hands right now? Because I do. Do you know how many? 
how many lemons you need to get three quarters of an ounce. Cause I do. <laughs> uh, well, these, these are like, um, the only ones I could find were at Walmart and they're very small and rock hard. So it, it took an entire bag to give me a cup. Maybe ha- yeah. A little less than a cup. I'm glad you bring that up. Cause I was worried on a podcast that, that has this, you know, this older, nice classic vibe to it. That me saying the word TGI Fridays would be the, the least classy thing said, but and not a bag of lemons from Walmart. Bag of lemons from Walmart. There it is. Bag of lemons from Walmart will be a running joke for the rest of this podcast for years to come. All right. So. All right. So once you've mixed those four, give me a second. I'm shaking it. Give me a second. I got to do the shaker. Hold on. I got the the big part is how many ounces? Ounce and a half. And he said three quarters of an ounce. But okay, we're making two making drinks. Two, yeah. I did. I said three quarters of an ounce. But you're making it for two. Yes. Now. If you're someone out there who drinks for two, we're not going to judge you. So if it's an ounce and half of each of those just for yourself, that's fine. Well, I want to make sure we like it before I uh, go bonkers here. But I think Funny, it's so going to be fun. Gin drinks are my wife's favorite. Anytime we go out to one of the local speakeas or one of the local you know, bougier bars here, we're always getting gin drinks. All right. I think it's important to point out that that was not and edited in sound there. That was just beautiful. Beautiful, right? Okay, so I'm going to pour now. We do. So now you strain. And that is all there is to it. So for this drink, there's no garnish. All right. No, no fancy rim that's put on it. Remember, when you're making this drink, it's to recover from the night before. All right, so... All right. Uh, hey, guess what? I can yes, sm- I can smell and taste things. Hey, this is a big day for you. I should go back and uh, make the drinks from the first couple episodes. And try the I'm other so drinks. I'm so good at it. All right, so we're going to try this drink for the first time. And cheers to Aaron. Thank you. Oh, that'll wake you up in the morning. That's weirdly <laughs> good. Like, it's a combination of things that all by themselves I would not be inclined to put in my mouth. But... All together, Aaron, you got to try one of these. I thought it would be too tart. No, it's, no, it's like fun for all the gin drinks I've had, I've actually never had a Corpse Survivor. Well, you are. We're gonna have to get together so that you can't say that anymore because we now have everything it takes to make a Corpse Survivor, and I'm apparently very good at it. So, <laughs> well, that sounds like an invite. <laughs> it is. It tastes a little bit like a lemon drop, but not mm-hmm. as um basic yeah it's yeah it tastes it's a little more complex it's um Mm -hmm. it smells better it's not as like a lemon drop is really sweet um it's like tart and sweet like sour patch kid this doesn't have that like heavy sweetness um it's it's like if you made it's like if claire from uh bon appetit made a gourmet lemon drop or something it's like Mm. it's like a schmancy version of that so about 10 years ago, I pretty much swapped all vodka for gin. So my martinis are all gin now because it, it just gives it a deeper complexity. I know a lot of people don't like that taste, but for me, it just really does it. So I totally get what you're saying. This doesn't have a heavy, I mean, maybe it does. I don't know. Maybe I just like this gin, but it none of the flavors stand out by themselves if that makes sense like i'm not going ooh, tons of grand marnier or ooh, tons of gin or ooh, i'm not even getting heavy absinthe it's just like they all balance really well together um this is a smart drink 
So what is what is the settings up for? Because while I know this is Halloween themed, I actually don't know your topic this week. So oh, we have so many. Oh yeah. So this week is um. Ooh. Hold on. I'll just. Uh, so this this week's topic is a variety of um stories, weird medical interventions in the world <laughs> of sex, and so the um prime actually one of them we'll just we can just tell the story with you on the line because it'll be fun. Oh okay. Yeah. So the 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 one that inspired the episode, Aaron. Do you know why chainsaws were invented? <laughs> so I had in my mind what I thought you were going to ask me, <laughs> which was. <laughs> <laughs> which was not that i was like aaron do you know where the condom originated from or aaron do you know why we have safe words no that's not what i got i was going to guess to chop down trees but i have a feeling i am very wrong yes uh you are you are very wrong so okay i'm gonna backtrack a little bit um before like modern day medicine and before like the modern day C-section, uh, we had to deliver all babies through the birth canal, right? And so for that to happen, if a baby was like too big or if a baby was breech, doctors had to like cut away the pelvic bone and the cartilage to make room. So that was called a symphysiotomy. And they did it while the, like, while the patient was like fully alert, like not anesthetized, like they just cut away like pelvic bone and cartilage. With um, a knife. With a knife to make room for the baby to come out. It was performed with like a small knife in the middle of childbirth while childbirth was happening to like widen the vaginal opening so that the baby could be born. I'm so glad we don't do this show on YouTube. Not not because of the images you would be showing, but because of the expression on my face right now. <laughs> so so um, the, uh, the invention of the chainsaw was for this childbirth process to make the work of cutting away the bone and cartilage faster. Well, that seems important. Doesn't it? And so it was a little, um, it was like the, about the size of a kitchen knife. And it was like a little hand crank machine. And so the doctor would hand crank a chainsaw in a vagina to make the vaginal canal larger. And it worked so well that they started using it for other surgeries where bone had to be cut away. And then eventually woodworkers picked it up and became the staple of the forestry industry that we know it to be today. And so that is um, that that story of how ch why chainsaws were invented. <laughs> what they need to do is they need to do a Texas Chainsaw Massacre origin story. Oh, that would be a very disgusting movie. <laughs> yeah, I'd watch yeah. it. So. I would not. I'm surprised that um, American Horror Story hasn't picked up on it. I am too. Yeah, honestly, am they had that. Well. They had in Asylum. They had a lot of weird medical stuff. Um, and, and uh, I liked Asylum. What are the names Nothing of the guys that made it? The first season, though. What are the what names of the guys that make uh, American? I'm sorry, Brad Murphy and Ryan, Ryan Murphy and Brad Falchuk. Falchuk. That's yeah. Yeah, if you guys are listening, uh, catch this episode. <laughs> Listen to the whole thing. You'll get lots of ideas for future okay, seasons, exactly. like weird historical well, stuff. That sounds like my cue to leave. <laughs> hey, Aaron. <laughs> Yes. You ever watch Deadwood? 
I actually haven't. Okay, we should. We'll get you on that one also. We got to get you on Deadwood. That way, you understand Fantastic. half the references we end up making in this show. <laughs> since we're just since we're just talking about TV shows, I I did finish Squid Game, and that just made me sad. Oh, I know it was really depressing. There were a couple episodes where I genuinely cried tears. So right. Ugh. Anyways, all right. Well, you enjoy whatever the hell it is you're going to be talking about for the next little while. <laughs> It'll be a fun I'm episode. I'm going to go pour myself a beer. Have fun. Enjoy the rest of your fajitas and say hello to Cody and to your beautiful wife for us. So we're having fajitas, so I will say hola. All right. Hola, Aaron. All right. Bye. Goodbye, friends. All right. So uh, our chainsaw story, that was from, I didn't say it when we were telling it, but that was from 1830. Um, so that was when the chainsaw was originally invented. So for folks who are keeping track of our timeline here. Uh, so that was it. That was the story that I'm kicking us off with. Uh, and so what we've done is Steve and I actually each have um, different fun stories to tell you. But I, I, gotta, I didn't really get your impressions much, Steve. The chainsaw story, when I first pitched this to you, like we were in the car and I said, we should do something on chainsaws. And I just... What were your impressions of this as a, a baseline for <laughs> an episode? <laughs> I thought it was amazing. I I, I thought, um, well, I mean, I, I we were talking about this months ago, and I never thought about the fact that we would have, you know, a Halloween episode or anything like that, and um, and the the fact that you had that in your pocket for, um, you know, just just thinking ahead like that, it was it was so smart. And I was very excited to hear it. And then when you uh, told me that you wanted to do a bunch of different uh, types of medical history, you know, my my uh, amateur research brain just kind of uh, went off the rails a little bit. And I got <laughs> very excited about it. Um, and so I love the story from um, the the chainsaw and the woodworker in me. Um, cause that is a, a hobby of mine really, really resonated with it towards the end there when you were saying that woodworkers picked up on it because we will do anything to make the thing happen. Like <laughs> if you Google or YouTube around like the woodworker circles, just the jigs that we will create to just be able to make a really simple shape over and over again, very exactly is uh just astounding what people come up with and so it's not surprising that we would take a tool like a vagina saw <laughs> a torture dildo a forbidden dildo forbidden dildo the forbi that we would take the forbidden dildo and use it to uh <laughs> like carve really pretty things yeah maybe carve a vulva out of wood I mean, who knows? That that would really bring it full circle. That would bring it full circle yeah. to use a chainsaw to carve a vulva. I love my chainsaw. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. like the pretty things you make me with your chainsaw. I make you rings of wood from trunks of trees. Yes, you did yeah. do that. I, no, uh, please, uh, listeners, don't think that I'm like a ice sculptor. Or anything like that. I do not have that level of skill, no. but I can cut in straight lines real good with my battery power chainsaw. Yeah, he does do. He, he's, and not just, that's not the only tool he uses in his woodworking trade. And he has made some really fun stuff for me. And 
oh, I can make really pretty things with other tools. Yes, yes. So. Chainsaws are a very uh, brute force instrument, which should, should only be used in things like vaginas. <laughs> That is such a good segue to what I'm sure is going to be an amazing next story. So you're up on the story deck, friend. What do you have for me? I want to talk about syphilis. So exciting. Do you know I have a stack of cards in the closet over there? The health department shows people to get them to like scare them into getting tested. And it's like different body parts at advanced stages of syphilis. And so now every time I think of or hear syphilis, I just see these like health department photos in my head. <laughs> yeah, because when I was learning about syphilis transmissions, it just seems so old. It seems so old fashioned. Like it seemed um, like it was something that you would worry about if you were, you know, in Les Mis. Like alive during the French Revolution. <laughs> exactly. Or, or, or like World War One and everything where, you know, soldiers were actually contracting it on purpose to get out of being on the front, which was completely valid because it was the most horrible place on earth. It just didn't seem very modern to me. But then when I took our HIV 500-501 training where uh, we learned to do the testing and everything, I learned that not only is it still around, but it, it's there's been an uptick in it. Now, especially in Florida, like more and more people are getting it. Uh, maybe it's even country or worldwide. I'm not even sure. But at least uh, what we were told is that it's something that we need to look out for. In 2019, there were 129,813 reported new diagnoses of syphilis. So almost as bad as COVID. Yeah, isn't that? That's bananas. But it just seems so awful to get. Like, I know that it was like the, f I know that syphilis was one of the first big things that penicillin was uh, a cure for because like simple antibiotics can kill it. And that's like most uh, STIs that we can get. Yeah. Like if you get gonorrhea, it's one shot, one pill. Yeah. And and you're good unless you got some sort of super gonorrhea, which is a thing, right? That is a thing. Super gonorrhea is a thing. Yeah. yeah. It, it's and like it is a, uh, antibiotic resistant. So horrifying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's not super common, but it is super dangerous. Resistant. <laughs> super dangerous. <laughs> but before we had penicillin, like syphilis was like super rampant and it was really bad for a lot of people and it killed a lot of people. And so, and there was a lot of shame. Like, of course, even I would probably say probably more than today, the shame and the stigma behind STIs probably syphilis in particular was higher probably than we even have now. Um, but maybe besides HIV, just because we have such modern treatments today, like you can get, like we were saying, gonorrhea or syphilis and it can be gone in a week and no one would ever know and everything. But if you contracted it back in before penicillin, penicillin was invented, it's, it's there with you for forever yeah and you get those rashes on your body and so it's harder to hide it's very evident like you you can't hide it yeah, exactly yeah. and so what would people go through to uh to get rid of it i imagine just about anything <laughs> and the thing is it, it seems like people could get rid of it if they treated it like a um 
if, if they treat it like any other virus or bacteria that uh, could be killed in uh, really uh, old school ways. <laughs> okay. Not reliably, okay. but enough to have people do it. So what are they doing? One of the big things was mercury. Oh. Well, you know, heavy metal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they would ingest a certain amount of mercury, uh, which is poisonous, yeah. obviously. Uh, and that would increase their body temperature because of the fever they would have. And it would and kill the, the syphilis. And the fever would kill off syphilis. Exactly. Uh, it might kill the patient. Also. I would say this is a very burn down the building approach. Oh, yeah. Throw yeah. the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it might work. And some people might actually be willing to risk their lives to not, you know, have that stigma attached to them. Other things uh, that could bring up your temperature are arsenic and malaria. These are things that doctors had readily on hand to give, give you... you on purpose uh, to make you sick to the point of death and hoping that you live to have a fever strong enough to kill the syphilis. Like, I mean, I guess if you have nothing else to try and you're looking at something that could kill you anyway. Because having syphilis isn't just stigma. Like, it's no walk in the park either. No, it makes you really sick and you, it kills people. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but then we got penicillin. Yay for penicillin. Yeah, yay. Who invented penicillin? Alexander Fleming invented penicillin. So yay for Alexander Fleming. Yay for Alexander Fleming and for penicillin. Yes. All right. On to you. Okay. What All right. Got? So uh, this one, people might be a little bit more familiar with. Uh, this story comes to us from the 1880s. And um, this, this was a cure for hysteria. What's hysteria? Uh, so hysteria was what they called it when women specifically had anxiety, irritability, insomnia, if they were feeling bloated, if they had sexual desire. So basically, if women had any emotions at all. Um, <laughs> I mean, in the first half of the list, I was going to say if they were like menstruating. But then I was like, oh, wait, no. No. So, no. so if women were like human and emotional in any way uh they get diagnosed with hysteria and they believed that the cause of hysteria was the womb i'm sorry the uterus moving out of place they called it wandering womb and um i love alliteration in most places i i mean a for effort on the on the writing there the, the marketing guys really knew what was up and i know it was marketing guys because women did not have a hand in this. Wandering Womb is uh, the next Florence <laughs> and the Machine album. <laughs> I'm surprised it's not already a or Florence. Or Amanda Palmer. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, so the cure for hysteria at the time was to induce hysterical paroxysm, which is just a fancy pants way to say orgasm. And that would shift the uterus, supposedly, <laughs> supposedly that would shift the you should see the face he made when i said supposedly <laughs> that would, i like to troll my husband sometimes that would shift the uterus supposedly back into place so that would solve the uh, an orgasm would solve the wandering womb gosh i just really 
someday I'm going to write a book called Wandering Womb, and it's just going to be a bunch of ways to give yourself orgasms. So uh, this kind of makes me think like, you know, there are like really old school laws that still exist in some states. Like, you know, you, you can't uh, turn left more than twice without breaking the law or something you like that. You can't cuddle know? with a possum. Yeah. Do you think there are some still uh, some states that will still allow you to get a prescription for orgasms? I don't know if it was a <laughs> if it was ever a prescription like situation, but it was a procedure. So like you would go to the doctor's office and the doctor would say you would tell the doctor that you're super stressed or can't sleep or sleep too much or whatever it is. And the doctor would diagnose you with wandering womb and then would induce an orgasm at the time. The doctors would do it with their fingers. And so the doctor would like basically give a hand job, induce an orgasm, and that was supposed to cure the woman's hysteria. So, um, but I mean, gosh, if every time you have an emotion, that's hysteria, you have to go to the doctor and get a tune up. Um, that's inconvenient. And so the electric vibrator was invented so that women could cure their hysteria from home. Convenient. Yes. Right. Uh, I will say as the owner of more than one of these um, fabulous devices, uh, it definitely makes me feel less hysterical. <laughs> Does it feel you make you feel less uh, insomnia? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, oh, no, yeah, it 100% yeah. does. Oh, yeah, like, no, I definitely use a Hitachi to knock me out. I don't. Less irritability, less sexual desire. I mean, if you're feeling like intense sexual desire and you really knock one out good, it'll make you sleepy and make you feel relaxed and do all of those things. I mean, think about like the way an orgasm makes you feel, you know, calmer, um, a little sleepy, a little, um, you feel more rested. You feel, I don't know. It's just a very like, it's a chill pill, you know? I think the youths call that post nut clarity. <laughs> really? That's like a thing? Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Like if, if you think you're going to make a bad decision or if you're thinking about making a bad decision, crank one out. Crank one out. Yeah. And then you and get then, that post-nut clarity I, I, and then think about it again. Okay. Well, I, I give people that advice specifically in relationship to like sex and love, like something that seems like a really good idea before an orgasm. If it still seems like a good idea after an orgasm, then it's more likely to be a good idea. But if you orgasm, if you go knock one out and then you don't want to still do the thing, then it was just like horny frenzy that was like driving the car and not your brain. Um, you know, so I, I tell people like masturbate. And especially when we're talking about things like people want to try something new and adventurous that they like saw in a porn or... Um, you know, want to try something that's emotionally or physically risky, something like that. And I'll tell them, you know, think about the thing, watch the porn, knock one out, and then see if it's still something you want to do. <laughs> and oh, if yeah. it's still worth the risk just after you've orgasmed. Yeah. If you're still like, yeah, I'm still into this, then start researching. <laughs> but if you're like, oh, nope, that did it, <laughs> then then that'll do it. So yeah, I, I like the phrase post-nut clarity. It's, it's concise. Um, so uh, it is the fun fun fact. It was the fifth home electric device after the kettle, sewing machine, fan, and toaster. So, all right. So that's me, the uh, electric vibrator and the 1880s. Well, see, electricity like is really great for things like vibrators and giving vulva havers orgasms, right? 
You know who it's not great for is penis havers. Why? Who might be having a hard time getting it up. I don't know if that's true. I don't think the electric vibrators are not good for penis havers. No, I'm talking about electricity, electricity, electrical supplies. Although today we did just film a. Oh um, my God. (laughs) I I tried to block it out. (laughs) We did just uh, film a video on a tens unit for the dick. Kind of. Yeah. It was this, um, this uh, wearable, um, it was a jock strap that has these like metal studs in it. And, um, it comes with this little device that plugs into it that sends electroshock through the metal studs in the jock strap. But the device, you can unplug it and like use it by hand too. And so I was like getting these little electroshocks while we were filming the video. And it's like, I'm trying to be really like cool because we're filming this for um, a client who also happens to be friends of ours. And so I want to make them a nice video and I'm doing this thing and I hate electric shock. And so I don't want to seem like I'm hating it, but Steve's cracking up and um, referring to that scene in 40 year old virgin where he gets the wax and it's really painful. And he's, you know, Kelly Clarkson <laughs> he's cursing. And I am kind of having um, my own reactions to the increasing intensity of this electroshock. I am, um, but I did it. I filmed the video and I did the electric. I didn't wear the jock strap. I just did it in my hand. But um, so if if you're so inclined, by the way, since I'm just that teasers out there, uh, it's from Pipe Dream. And we'll put a link to um, the shop we filmed it for. So you can go get yourself one. Um, but so so speaking of electricity and penises. Yeah, I can't <laughs> believe that I it didn't even cross my mind while we were doing that video. The story didn't uh, about this this fucking thing, which is exact, almost exactly what we're talking about. Um, but uh, it, it has to do with uh, our little intro earlier. What would uh, a man go through to uh, gain and maintain a In strong her- erection? Is um, electroshock therapy as a treatment for impotence? Uh, this has been a thing for over a hundred years and I, I use is very, uh, consciously it has, it it is a thing. Uh, It has been a thing, not, it was a thing because, uh, it was invented a long time ago. If somebody was shown to be a quote unquote weak man. Uh, there were things that uh, he could do to uh, to try to get it up. <laughs> and um, a lot of that had to do with electricity. And a lot of this really came about in uh, the invention of electricity, like when we we're seeing the vibrator and all these things. And uh, I, I guess scientists were really trying to see where they could use these applications to, to help other things. And so they were trying to see if they could help with ED. And um, the first place they tried it was in what's called galvanic baths, which they would put electrodes inside of a bathtub, fill it up with water, let you get in, and uh, they would toast you to the bathtub for you. Like, not to the point of electrocution. Just But enough enough to the point where it would do it for you i guess (laughs) i mean you say i guess but like electroplay is a real thing like electricity does it for people it does 
for people who are into it. Yeah. But I wouldn't use it as a cure-all because when the baths didn't work, they would put an electrified rod into the urethra. That's also some people's thing that's called, well, not the electric part, but yeah, the, the rod in the urethra is called sounding and it's a kink. I mean, we have a lot of close friends who like, like who, who we have really, se- like, really have several close friends who are super into this. So I've never tried it. So yeah, maybe you it's don't my know. Thing. Maybe you love it. Maybe I love sound. Maybe I don't love. Maybe sounding is so vanilla, and I need you to put a nine volt battery on it. Maybe you need to electrocute it or electrify it. Yeah. So maybe you know you don't know. Eventually. Like there are these ne'er do wellers, these uh, snake oil salesmen, who will uh, come around and be like, "Hey, you know how the doctor will put you in the bath, and who will uh, uh, put a rod in your cock, and it will uh, suddenly get you hard again? Um, we'll sell you this belt, and you can just do it at home. It worked for the ladies with their vibrators. Look at how good they're doing. Hysteria is not even a thing anymore." <laughs> Right? That's totally the case. Uh, so just have this belt and it'll total, totally work for you. And uh, they would have these at home. Uh, we could call it like the pipe dreams shock jock. The shock therapy. It is called the shock therapy shock jock. Yeah. Not a sponsor of this podcast. Nope. Just a really appropriate reference yeah, to the day today. we are having. Yeah, yes. Happy early- Halloween, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> And uh, you could at home put on this electric belt and um, hook it up to your junk. And uh, I'd imagine because like today, uh, like the shock, the the pipe dreams, shock therapy, shock jock runs off of a, what is this? CR 2012 battery, whatever those watch batteries are and everything. I'd imagine back in those days, you hooked it into the mains like you hooked it into the wall. Yeah. Like, they didn't have like that. Those little watch batteries. Oh, they didn't even have proper grounding. You didn't have a three prong outlet or anything. Like it was two prong and you prayed and everything. <laughs> and you just hope that <sighs> you got it up instead of it killing you. And I was such a baby with the little bit of shock that I got. We had it on the lowest, slowest setting and I was bitching about it. Like I, Steve's laughing. You're such it, a was, it was strong. <laughs> it was strong. But uh, yeah. And, um, yeah, I can do electric play if I'm like the second person in the chain. So like if someone else is holding the electric piece and they touch me, I think that's kind of fun. And I think that tickles a little. Oh, like a violet wand. Like a violet wand, yeah. Okay. And so if someone is holding the violet wand and then they they touch me with the electricity in their fingers, like I think that's a really cool experience. But being like the first in the chain and touching the electricity. I, they gave me that tens unit for my back and I hated it. Like I couldn't do it. So I, I, I loved administering it. I know. And I would get so mad at you. <laughs> Sadist. <laughs> you should see him laughing. So, so this sounds medieval, but it was, it was in the era of, of, of electricity. So it was within the last, in 150 years or so that this was coming up but additional but um this is still being studied like actively seeing if this is a thing and um i found some studies 
from uh, UCSF, uh, University of California, uh, San Francisco. Starting 2016, there was a study from Dr. Tom Liu, L-U-E, called Low Intensity Extracorporeal Shock Wave Treatment to Improve Erectile Dysfunction. And it was using, like, like obviously these days we have um, power regulation and we have attenuation and we have the ability to control how much electricity is going to a certain place. Yeah, And so we're not taking live wires to your nuts like they were <laughs> sounds back like in the an day. Episode, sounds like a, a challenge on Saw. <laughs> exactly. I thought you were going to say Squid Game. But yeah. Hostile. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Like, like, or or it, it's not some sort of um, uh, interrogation technique that was used in 24 or taken. Like, yeah. like Neam, uh, Liam Neeson or um, who's the guy from 24? Kiefer Sutherland. Kiefer Sutherland. Oh, yeah. From uh, the Spoopy show. Yes. From, from the Spoopy movie, uh, Lost Boys. Yes. Um, he's not going to come up. And oh, I'll say Flatliners, which is the electricity oh, reference. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, we got to watch that this year. <laughs> That's very good. Yeah. Show, show the kid Flatliners. Yes, that'll be. Oh, so our, our kids are getting like they're almost both te- teenagers now in this like the most fun time because we can start showing them spooky movies and saying dick jokes and everything like that. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's, it's not like plugging two wires into the wall and putting them up to your nuts anymore, but like we can actually attenuate these things and we can regulate these things and uh, we can see how much power the frequency and uh, the intensity that we're uh, putting into your nuts and uh and see how that helps with things and uh that is still being studied today the last study i saw was 2020 just last year the paper on using is still out of the same school the same guy using electroshock for ed after uh prostatectomies okay yeah so and was it still being was still effective yeah so yeah. get you a shock therapy shock shock man like you think you're like you want to explore how uh electricity impacts your erections get you one of these pipe dream jock straps this is a very um exciting device <laughs> the pipe dream shock therapy shock drop is not a medical device and we do not endorse um, it for endorse, medical purposes yes. yes i'm not a doctor this <laughs> is not medical advice on my part this is literally just you know ha, for science <laughs> like we're just um i just i just i the uh it's uncanny the ways that our worlds collide in a day <laughs> it is wild like, like i could not like this out of everything that i read was one of the craziest things of all the things that i researched for this episode not because of what it was just because of how long it spanned time and we've had this box from Kink Crate that had the shock jock in it for a while, for weeks. Yeah, yeah, we've yeah. had it for a minute. Just, just sitting right next, like within ten feet of my desk, and I never looked in it to see what was in it. And here I am. And saying, today was the day we decided to record. Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> so make sure to check that out on the Kink Crate YouTube Kink channel. Kinkcrate.com, and eventually on the YouTube channel, the video will be there. This episode will come out before the video is ready, so you'll have to go check them out. Um, it was it was my first uh, my, my first time I've ever tried shooting B roll for an episode, so we'll see how that works out. Um, <laughs> all right, so I think you probably have one more, don't you? I do. I do have one more. It is um, again 
uh, vibrator related. Now, did we decide, is this like a thing that we know is, is this verifiable or is this in the, this is an urban legend, which I think is fun to close out for our Halloween, um, or for my closing out my part of the Halloween episode. I know Steve has another story after this, but, um, my final, uh, spooky story is, I guess it's not spooky. It's actually pretty neat. Um, the, uh, the urban legend is that the original vibrator was non-electric, <laughs> was invented by Cleopatra. And so Cleopatra lived between 69 BC and 30 BC. So a really heckin' long time ago. And that wasn't that long ago, like comparatively. Like I think compared to what? I think Egyptians. I, I think Egyptians as being like ancient, ancient, not like Jesus ancient. I mean, weren't they ancient, ancient? And then also, like we say, ancient They spent a long time then. Yeah, I mean, they're also modern. Yeah. But yes, <laughs> you're talking. Oh, well, I'm talking, yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh, I, I I guess what I'm trying to say is I think about Cleopatra as being like one of the ancient Egypt. I guess it's one of those things where like, um, I keep going back to World War One because that's where my head is at a lot as far as study goes. Uh, but you had two of the big powers you had the the Germans and the Russians. You had the Kaiser and the Tsar, both of whom in 1915 were calling themselves Caesar in their in their language, which is really anachronistic. And so, I guess thinking about Cleopatra being past the time of Jesus uh, is just anachronistic in my mind. In the same way, where it's it's just uh, the way that uh, things in history overlap are just fascinating to me sometimes. Yeah, I I um. Was it, what was I watching? And they were talking about uh, Van Gogh being from like the 70s or something. Picasso. Picasso. Picasso yeah. being from like the 70s. Like, oh, my brain can't can't connect with that. Yeah, that'll so, really yeah. fuck you up when you think that he died in the 70s. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, okay. So Cleopatra, 69 BC to 30 BC. Uh, so rumor has it that Cleopatra filled a gourd with bees made them really angry and then use it as a vibrator. Um, so it was like the original pervertible, which um, per pervertibles are just when you use um, household objects for sexual purposes. What's the uh, term for when you go to Target to find stuff? The pervertibles. Like you're going and looking for pervertibles. Oh, is it Target. called Target pervertibles? Or I, I mean, I don't like know that? if there's like a term for Target oh, I specifically. I thought, I thought there was a game. No, yeah, I think it was Jay Weissman had, um, was the one who, I, I don't know if, he, if I saw it, in a post of his somewhere or something, uh, he wrote um, the book SM 101. And I don't remember why, like what he was, it was, I think it was him who was saying like, uh, the game is to go to Target with a certain dollar amount, you and your partner, and you have a certain dollar amount to spend and like see how many kinky things you can end up with. And I think we ended up with a bamboo spoon um, from one of those one time. Yeah, they didn't sell chainsaws at Target. Weird. I know. <laughs> Our budget was so low. <laughs> um, so the Cleopatra B vibrator story became really popular after the release of the Encyclopedia of Unusual Sex Practices, which we have here, by the way. We do? We do have a copy of the no Encyclopedia way. of Unusual Sex Practices on the shelf right there, right on the bottom of that shelf. Oh, it's like seeing we a celebrity. It. Yeah. So um, uh, by that was written by Brenda Love in 1982. Okay, so I'm going to read you an excerpt from it. Imagine Queen Cleopatra going about her business in the nature that surrounds her great palace. 
She's bots a beehive, and for some reason, she gets fascinated by the vibrations the bees make inside the hive. She orders one of her best engineers to make her a small box or gourd in a way that lets bees inside shake the walls to generate the vibration. This device would also prevent the bees from escaping. The chances are such any incident would only end in pain. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess this was actually disproven by historians later. Probably. That's what it says here. These notes say that this was disproven by later historians. But I like thinking that Cleopatra was so innovative in her search to orgasm. I'm so bothered by her hysteria. And so <laughs> in search of a relief <laughs> that she resorted to a beehive. Uh, that's like the original Gwyneth Paltrow like solution. Oh my god! This feels like an episode of Goop. Like yeah. just put the bees in the gourd <laughs> and stick it up. Yeah, the the yoni bees. So right, but I will say in in your quest for ancient dildonics, um, the uh, stone dildos have been discovered dating back to the Neolithic era, which is twenty eight thousand BC. So there's those are some ancient dildos for oh, you. Oh, so I'm I was so worried about Cleopatra being so modern. Like that is some ancient, ancient sex toys. Talk about an era. Twenty eight thousand BC. BC. Twenty eight thousand BC. Neolithic Wait, era. Hold on. Stone dildos. I wake up in the morning mm -hmm. and my back will hurt if there is an extra blanket under me. Yes. Like instead of on top of me because mm -hmm. the the layer is you are the princess and the pea. Sure. Yes. <laughs> and so I'm thinking about dildos. Okay, and that's related. And their use. Mm -hmm. You need it to be pretty fucking smooth. Yeah. Twenty eight thousand BC. What is what are they didn't have shoes yet? Like. Yeah. What I I have to know the process of what they did to be able to get it smooth enough for use. But like, did they fashion rough dildos and put it in the river? I was and imagine it, and running water. It, and called it an heirloom toy for five generations later when erosion <laughs> would finally take over and I, smooth it out into a sea glass like a beer bottle, like. <laughs> Well, like, I mean, some texture is acceptable. Like they didn't, they didn't have like if you gave me a hunk of granite and told me to make a totally smooth dildo today with my shop in the garage with you know all the tools that I have and the many grits of sandpaper that I have, I might have a hard time of it. Like even today, getting it done, you know, in a day. Yes. The amount of dedication that had to go into a 28,000 BC dildo. It's not like they had Netflix. What else were they doing? Oh, that's true. They're not recording podcasts or anything. No, they didn't. They weren't. They didn't have careers. Like. That's such a good point. If you had like nothing else to do except like hunt, gather, and fuck. Yeah. Could you imagine how excited you would be to, about get, it, a dildo. to get it right? Could you imagine if you were the the cave person that like, like really nailed it. Yeah. And that, I mean, it probably would be an heirloom piece at that point. Like you would go to all the trouble to make it. You probably would absolutely hand it down through like the members of your like tribe. I mean, what from would, like tribe to tri or from like generation to generation. Yeah. What would, we, what would we call an heirloom today? Something that lasts like 
three to four generations at least I think so, or yeah. more the 28 thousand the fact that they've still discovered it and it's still a thing it's still in one piece you know like that's a fucking baller device right there that's craftsmanship (laughs) i you know it it also makes me think of um if you ever go to uh chinatown in um new york and you go to these the the stores and everything that just sell all the different cooking supplies and everything um, next to all the bamboo steamers and the rice cookers and the different, uh, you know, uh, fry spiders and everything, you will see these giant jade dildos. Yes, so, like, no, dildos. I love them. They're, they're, they're not dildos. They're not dildos. They're, they're, dildos they're are cops. specifically a, a, a yeah, are specifically a, a sex toy. Yeah, um, but um, but yeah, they're these giant jade penises i love them i want one so and they're just all on the shelf next to your cleavers yeah and everything there's not even a special place for it they just put it on the shelf and i I, is it like a fertility Fertility thing and it's a and and fertility statues have more um spiritual application than just like uh literal fertility there's also the idea of like um, the energy of fertility. So you're um, maybe you're starting a new business, you're birthing a business into the world. Like that would be a good time to want fertility energy around you, or you know, starting um, a new relationship, starting a new. So, um, but yeah, like so. There's lots of reasons that you would want like, and it's also like a symbol of virility and a symbol of strength. And so there's a lot of like spiritual meaning and emotional meaning behind like these like penis statues and you can, there's like jade and quartz and like carved out of wood and you can get them in all different kinds of materials and they're not meant to be used to masturbate with. And please don't get desperate and do it because they're, they're in many cases porous and not really made to be put inside your body and bacteria. And there's, that's a whole like safety issue, but yeah, um, really pretty for sitting on your shelf. And, um, and there, there are like, uh, stone and crystal dildos it's called something that you can use to masturbate with like there are dildos made out of like precious stone um but they're sealed with like they make them and they're smoothed and then they're sealed with something to make them body safe and so when you're out in the world buying like these jade eggs and these things for like this sort of new agey, uh, like more woo, um, masturbatory and sex toy stuff. Um, just check to see how it's made, check to make sure it's sealed, check to make sure it's like the sex educator. I mean, just reminding everybody to be like body safe because depending on what it's made out of, it could be porous, which traps yeast and mold bacteria and is not a good way to keep your entertainment center open long. So, um, <laughs> we want to, you know, so that's my little derail, it, but it yes, might, giant it, jade dicks. Yes. It might be why we see these like ancient stone dildo those is because somebody uses it twice and they get a yeast infection it gets discarded in a pile of leaves and covered in sediment and suddenly we find it in one time use only low mileage yeah um uh, stone dildos although i have to wonder if if the human body was more resistant to bacterial infection like like they like we're talking about people that they weren't wearing like underwear or bathing regularly. Um, so I wonder either did everybody just have yeast infections like all the time or had they built up some kind of resistance? Like were their bodies 
capable of masturbating with a stone dildo like <laughs> you know um I mean, if, that was probably not easy to clean if you allow me like kind of a derail it, it might be because those types of bacteria didn't exist yet oh. like um coal yeah like our coal deposits on earth do you know where they come from Mm-mm. so um they are because uh the bacteria that eats uh cellulose material like trees and stuff like that uh did not exist for a a long time after trees existed okay and so you would have these trees that would grow and die and grow and die and grow and die and they would create these giant mats of dead trees on the ground uh which would then you know people would walk it would become the new ground and everything like that and um you just get thousands of feet of these layers of dead cellulose material until eventually the bacteria that can eat it got invented, which would then start decomposing the material. Uh, And so for all these trees that already got felled and did not get decomposed, they would fall, you know, under ground and everything and they get pressurized and the heat and everything, and they would end up becoming coal. And um, and that's how we get a lot of our our deposits these days. That's interesting. And yeah. that were and to tie back again to oh, because um, a lot of the bacteria that we might worry about for something like yeast infection may maybe, not. Maybe, have maybe they didn't exist back huh. twenty eight thousand years ago. It's yeah, it's very possible. As a yeah, so my whole idea the bodies were just different then, um, and could maybe have tolerated masturbating. I mean, obviously, we had the immune system to survive those times some of us did because (laughs) because i'm it's not like people were is germ theory didn't exist it's not like people were bathing before they had sex anyway no and everybody washing under their fingernails and using good lube and all those things that we tell people that are hygienic that wasn't a thing yeah and obviously everybody survived enough for us to be here today to podcast right and to discovered their dildos and also survived long enough for us to today create facebook's facebook groups where people don't believe in germ theory now i like know they, they believe it's fake it was like the, one of the wildest things i've seen that's in the last so few bananas months. to me i know i know oh my goodness okay so that's scary that's the halloween episode you know facebook what else is scarier germ theory you know what else is scarier what else is scarier steve sex Sex <laughs> oh, is, you're going to tell my favorite story. <laughs> sex is so scary. And th- you know what? It's it's not so much that it's scary. It's that it's a sin. Oh. Yeah. And if I were to put it in so concise words, I would say that if illicit commerce of the sexes is a heinous sin, self-pollution is a crime doubly abominable. What now? Yeah. If having sex is a sin, which obvi, right? Yeah, clearly, yeah. yes. Then self-pollution, like jerking it, yeah. is doubly bad. Like, okay. Oh. As, so like, it's not a lesser to, crime. It's a double crime. It's a double crime oh. to self-pollute your own body. And we need to do whatever is it Is saying t- self-pollute your own body like saying ATM machine? Is it redundant? self-pollute your, your own, own body is that like a, a redundant instead of self-pollute your, your body, body yeah yes absolutely okay, just checking i'm yeah. back i'm not outside of being ridiculous in this case i'm in i'm yeah. in yeah 
And so we need to do what it takes to get people <laughs> to stop self-polluting. I'll sign that right. petition. And you know what it is? It's diet. Oh, yeah. Well, isn't that the answer to everything? If people had enough, uh, had a healthy enough diet, they wouldn't want to masturbate. They could reject these ideas of self-pollution and okay. I will say of somebody commerce of illicit commerce. Which is just the word for sex. <laughs> I will say, as somebody who is both an emotional eater and an emotional masturbator, maybe there's something to this. <laughs> so, back in the uh, late 1900s, early 20th century, um, master, more, no, late 1900s, early 21st century. Yes. We've, we've had uh, a good bit of these go ghost corpse Corpse risers? Uh, uh, corpse revivers. Corpse revivers. I'm feeling great. I stopped. I had to stop because I have to work on my thesis after this. Oh, you do? Yeah. You're going to work tonight. I might. I okay. We'll see. I, I'm going to try a little bit. I'm so proud of you. Oh, God. <laughs> so there some people had the idea that masturbation and sex really led towards a lot of bad things like because obviously hysteria old news out the window we got vibrators we can stop hysteria the uterus is exactly in your right place but people are still feeling bad feelings right mm -hmm. and so masturbation and sex has to be a cause of this and what feelings are we talking about we're talking about mood swings fickleness boldness boldness bashfulness <laughs> Bad posture, stiff joints. Aren't these all the symptoms of hysteria? <laughs> acne, <laughs> epilepsy, and a fondness of spicy foods. Oh. And these are nothing that we want people to have. Of course no, not. Absolutely no. not. And so we. These all sound like, well, not all of them, a lot of that sounds like pleasure. <laughs> a lot of it sounds like hysteria, which we solved, but people are still feeling these things. I mean, yes. And so what do we need? Well, because hysteria was just in women. That's true. Oh, we are seeing these in men now. Yes. So now we, it's a real problem. Men love spicy foods. Men do love spicy and foods. Women hate it, but men love spicy foods. And there are men that are both bashful and bold. Oh, yes. Because of fickleness. I mean, fickleness is one of the things. And that would create simultaneous bashfulness and boldness. We can't have this. We cannot have this. I hope everyone understands how deeply tongue in cheek we're being. Like, just please, please, please don't write us angry letters. We're kidding. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, what's the solution to this, Steve? This horrible epidemic of fickle bashfulness. It's a good diet that has to be completely bland. Luckily for us, no pleasure allowed. Yeah, no. Bland diet it is. Yeah, no spicy foods. Luckily for us, one of the believers of this was a man named Dr. <laughs> John Harvey Kellogg. Yeah, he worked at a sanitarium. He did. He, yeah, he yes. faced a lot of these things. And he was like, you know what we need to fight this fickle, spicy, con masturbating conundrum? We need cornflakes. And so it. he invented the John Harvey Kellogg's cornflakes to fight masturbation. Oh, the cornflake people. Yeah, to fight your 
uh, self-pollution. And, and what was the theory that so he so he believed so what you're saying is that he believed that a bland diet would cure this in people like based on what? No, he believed that a healthy diet would cure this in people, but people that were wholesome like Kellogg's cornflakes, not a sponsor of this podcast, <laughs> would not enjoy spicy foods. But yeah, you would know, we don't want any cinnamon in our so toast no spicy, crunch. no sweet, no, yeah, just toast crunch, no cinnamon. Just Kellogg's cornflakes. All capped in no crunch. A healthy start <laughs> to our day. Okay. To to not jerk it. And it's just because I'm too busy eating cereal to jerk it? Or like no. I'm too hung too full. I'm not hungry. And so like it's because you've been nutritionated. Nutritionated. Enough. Yeah. Okay. You know, we should have my other cousin on the show when we do things like this. Oh, we should have had. So she'll so, never be on it. I mean, she might be. Yeah? I bet we could have got her to be on it for this. Yeah. Uh, so I'll have to ask her what she thinks. To do like an addendum, like a, a like a yes, that would be fun. Uh, so just some context for those of you at home. My cousin Aaron, if this is the first episode you're listening to, is the mixologist who does aperitifs with Aaron for us. He's he's my cousin, um, and his sister Taylor is a dietitian. And so I just would love to hear her thoughts. And she's also fantastic. She's just a solid gold human. And I think she would be hilarious. So next time I see her, I'm going to ask her what she thinks about uh, the the correlation between uh, cornflakes and masturbation. And we'll see. <laughs> if, I, if I play my cards right, I can ask her in a room full of family members at an important family function. Yes. And that should go over well. So actually, here's another fun fact about my family. That so I got into sex ed. Um, I was I started selling sex toys, and I was doing these like in-home uh, sex toy parties. And the very very first in-home toy party I ever ever did when I got like I ordered my, I signed up for the business that was doing it, and they send you like a box of toys, send you like a little business in a box. And so I, you have to do your first party, and the first party I did, the only people I knew were my family members. And, and like their friends. And so in one room, I had my mother and her sister, my aunt, and um, my cousin, Taylor. And um, I think Natalie might have been there too, but I don't remember Aaron's wife. Um, but, you know, I saw I had my family in this room and I'm talking to all of them about dildos and um, sex toys and trying to get them to all buy things for me and just trying to practice talking about sex in front. And I thought if I can talk about sex in front of my mom and my aunt and my cousin, then I can do it um, from anybody. So so this would be me, me talking about cornflakes and masturbation would be the least surprising topic I could bring up at a family function because uh, that was like 10 years ago and here I am still doing this work. So That is so funny because like I would feel like I would have to do it in front of people I would I would go out of state like but before I've gotten into the industry like before I got into the sex industry working with you um if I were to have to sell sex toys like I would not have gone to my family first like no, I've, yeah yeah I, 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 mean, I would have I would literally like put it in Nevada or some some for people could never see it and uh and then if I got like incredibly successful and my family wouldn't know where I got my money I might bring it back home. See, it's funny because like I know a lot of people I know in our industry use like pseudonyms and um, 
whether they're doing sex work or something, we're not doing sex work, we're doing, it's maybe sex work adjacent, but we're doing, you know, we do sex education, but it's very adult uh, and it's very pleasure-based and we do sometimes use language that's very explicit and topics that are very, not the sex education in school, that kind of thing. And, and I was, you know, like I said, I started selling toys and it never, ever once occurred to me to use a fake name um, especially when I started, when I was just selling toys, like it never occurred to me to not just put my name. I had on the back of my car, I had like the name of the business and like my phone number and I would get the weirdest text messages in traffic. Um, but it was trying to get new business all the time. And it just never, never occurred to me. And I honestly, I kind of wish the organization had maybe taught us a little bit more about like safety around this stuff. But by the time I switched gears and abandoned, um, so that was like a multi-level marketing setup. And I'm, I have since sort of changed my feelings on, um, multi-level marketing. Um, and so I decided to work for myself and I'm back to school and I'm doing sex ed and not sales. I mean, I, we do have a shop link in the show notes, but, um, <laughs> we, we, it was, it was more, um, I started getting into this differently and then I started, then it occurred to me like, oh, maybe I should have had a fake name. But at that point I had been selling dildos under my name with my phone number plastered everywhere for so long. And I was like, well, this is just my life now. And I, I'll say it has cost me. Like there's definitely been um, jobs that haven't hired me because of what I, you know, because there's videos on the internet of me talking about blowjobs and stuff like that. But I would say I, we have an immense amount of privilege in that I've been able to afford everything it's cost me, if that makes sense. Well, I also think that I, I, I got a little bit worried when you decided to do it under my last name, because we might lose some of the people that we had found under your name. Of course, we we got Professor Sex, which is uh, just like a godsend of a name. I mean, I'm still to this day shocked. Yeah, that we got that no one else. Oh uh, yeah. So done. if you're coming through Tickle Life and I'm Angel Russell, I, I'm also on the internet as Professor Sex. So yes, sorry. There's some tech, some context for what he's saying. Yeah, and it's not like we've been doing this. Uh, what was it? Angel's been doing this for so long, but Professor Sex hadn't existed until five years ago. When we and, met. And we were both just so shocked when it wasn't taken. And we could get ProfessorSex.com and no one else was using it. And um, But, you know, and all the things that Angel thought that they were going to lose by using their real name started to gain steam with Professor Sex and then wanted to use after we got married, my last name, because of other reasons, I thought we were going to lose some people also, but it really hasn't happened. Mm -mm, like like no. everyone just kind of followed, followed along. along. Yeah, it's been good. And I'm, I'm the shift, the name shift was good. I think it was a good choice. Um, but yeah, anyway, I was a little bit of a, a derail. Um, so yeah, Kellogg's and uh, masturbation. And uh, <laughs> yeah. But that's... Um, Th that's all I got. That's uh, that's all the uh, the weird sex history that that we've kind of uncovered for for this, for this episode. episode. Yeah. So I will say that we can definitely do another unusual sex um, topics. Uh, we can do this more often. I do have the uh, encyclopedia. 
Um, and it's a lot of fun. So I'll break it out maybe and give us some unusual sex facts. Um, <laughs> in, in future episodes, we'll do like a segment or something. Um, but yeah, I hope that everybody has a wonderful, fun, happy, safe Halloween. If you are enjoying this podcast, please check out the other podcasts that tickle.life has to offer. So this is one of just four um, this is, I'm sorry, just one of four podcasts that we are offering. So, um, you go to tickle.life slash podcasts and the link to that will be in the show notes and you can find all the other stuff that we offer there and just check out tickle.life generally. It's a great resource for all of your sexual health and wellness needs. Yeah. And, um, Obviously, we've been talking a lot about history, and so uh, a lot of the things that we talked about have been very uh, hetero, mononormative and everything. And so our stance is always 100% that trans rights are human rights, sex work is real work, and that is always where we will be, and we appreciate you, and we appreciate you listening. Yeah, absolutely. And while you're, uh, while you're checking out, stuff from tickle.life. We also are very excited about a um, NFT project uh, that we have launched. Um, we have, this project is called Carnal Chemistry. If you go to carnalchemistry.xyz, you can check the project out. And the theme for this NFT project is the Kama Sutra. And so we have artists from all over the world who are drawing different positions from the Kama Sutra in their own style, telling their own stories with the Kama Sutra as their inspiration. Um, and it is being it is being released as um, they are being released as NFT pieces. Um, so if you want to learn more about that and learn learn more about that artwork and the artists, you can go to carnalchemistry.xyz um, and we have a Discord server that you can join and all of that and all the links will all be in the show notes. And so our theme for um, it, you know inspired by this, our theme for the next episode is going to be the Kama Sutra. I love it. So that, friends is all for this episode of Sex Ed Speakeasy. Please have fun and be safe. And we'll see you next time. Bye.